If your church has a bookstore or lending library, you will probably find lots of nonfiction books in there, such as Christian living resources, Bible studies, and discipleship material. But we know that people also get their discipleship training through stories and songs. Well, almost every church has the songs part covered, with singing and worship and maybe a whole ministry team devoted to music. But should church bookstores and libraries offer more fiction to cover the stories part? We might even ask, should churches have story pastors to help disciple others through story, just like the music minister does this through music? What could this story pastor look like? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from Lorehaven, where we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meaning to the real world Jesus calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, not a story pastor. I do, however, publish lorehaven.com, and I help the co-author the nonfiction book, The Pop Culture Parents. And I'm Zachary Russell, and currently I am reading way too much nonfiction, and that is probably why this topic has bubbled to the top of my mind. This is episode 109, How Should Local Churches Support Christian-Made Fantasy? Zach, the best kind of nonfiction, I think, is actually about fiction. That's why we have articles at lorehaven.com. In fact, among the team, we've been talking a lot about the purpose of articles and what kinds of articles we want to have in the future. I, however, like you, also read a lot of nonfiction. I enjoy both nonfiction and fiction in balance. And that's why I'm really interested that you proposed this topic today about the hypothetical story pastor. I think I would love that as a title. I, I think that would be so cool, but it really shouldn't have to be so mystical or like eccentric. I mean, cause like you said, we already have worship pastors, so why not a story pastor? Yeah. When I say stories and songs, I kind of apply that to every form of popular culture, every kind of artwork that Christians make. Some people say, well, that leaves out games or sports or things like that. But I think that one way or another, everything that people make uh, is related in some way to a story or a song. Churches do have the songs covered because the scripture tells us to worship God in our local churches through singing. But I think that the, you could make a strong case that we also need to be um, institutionalizing in some way, organizing the way that we use stories for discipleship. If for no other reason than scripture itself is a capital S true story of stories, and it includes uh, fictional parables and other examples in there. If Jesus thought that people ought to learn through communicating fictional stories, then we as the church should do the same. And we have done the same uh, in Christian bookstores and obviously through things like Lorehaven and Christian publishers who publish fiction, including fantastical fiction. But at your point, Zach, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about this, is that maybe we ought to have this kind of thing more organized at the local church level and not just in parachurch groups or authors or publishers. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I, I think it's going to take that kind of intentional effort. This idea came to mind first when everyone was talking about Disney and it's like, oh, Disney's so terrible and look what all the, you know, all the garbage they're pushing on children. And I'm like, well, okay, I agree with that. But I, I think the bigger problem is that we are relying too much on Disney for stories for our families. Like what, why, why is the church doing that? Like, why do we feel like Disney has to supply us with stories? Now I'm not saying that every church should start you know, writing books and everything, but as the church, where is our own emphasis on our own stories? Secondly, some Christian creators I follow were, were sort of complaining a little bit. And I, and I agree with their complaint that, that a lot of churches, pastors aren't really highlighting Christian art and stories. So while they're complaining about what Disney is doing, they're not really 
pointing their congregation towards the, the stories that Christians are creating. And so I thought, aha, that's the missed opportunity here. We've discussed why that the church should talk about fiction, why we need stories as part of our discipleship diet. So we'll, we'll save that. We've got other podcasts on that. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, go to episode 50. That's where we really start talking about why do we need fiction, fantasy, science fiction. But for this episode, we're going to talk about how this could work. And we're, we're going to use the imaginary role of the story pastor. I look forward to finding out about this. And when Zach and I were brainstorming this topic, I had some objections, a little pushback. So at times, Bring this it. podcast may actually include a little friendly debate, uh, because although I believe that the local church should endorse the creation of stories and stories as discipleship tools, I'm not entirely sold on the idea of a hypothetical uh, story pastor role. Uh, I think that the local churches have enough going on as it is, but I would love for this to happen at the congregational level. I would love for people to at least have kind of a, a, a naturally occurring democratic process where they were, are discipling others through, through story. So that's my take, at least going in. Uh, let's see if I'm uh, persuaded by the end. Before we get into the thick of it, however, we want to go over the first sponsor for this episode. Uh, once again, our sponsor is the Realm Makers 2022 Conference. Uh, speaking of discipleship through story, you've got to have mentors and relationships and professional development and writers conferences in order to make the stories. And if that's you, if you have anything to do with that, uh, you will want to attend the Realm Makers 2022 Conference, either live in person or virtually, because it's a hybrid event. Here's the description for the Realm Makers Conference from July 21st through 23rd, 2022. Are you excited to take the next step in your speculative fiction journey? No, not an actual trip to space, time travel, or forging your own sword. Joining us for Realmakers 2022. This year's annual Writers Conference will again offer the event in person in Atlantic City and live online. So even if you're not ready to travel in July, you can still see the teaching in real time. Every class will be live streamed for our virtual attendees. Whether attending in Atlantic City or online, all attendees will have the chance to connect on the Realm Sphere and a dedicated conference space in our online community. Realm Makers 2022 is an amazing value because this year, every attendee gets access to replays of every class available through the Realm Sphere. No matter how you attend, if you have a manuscript you want to pitch to our participating agents and editors, you will be able to do so. You can register for Realm Makers and get more information in our page at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors, or go to our show notes for episode 109. Zach, unfortunately, you won't be making it this year because you have another event that takes priority for you, uh, but I and several of the other uh, Lorehaven staff creators will be there, as always, uh, with our Lorehaven booth at the uh, in-person event for Realm Makers. All right, well, let's head over to the concession stand. And since we're all talking about church, we're going to go eat some casserole. That seems to be the thing uh, there at the church concession stand. So, you know, Stephen, as you mentioned, we, we realize that a lot of churches are short-staffed and a lot of ministries happen through volunteers. And so, you know, while we're ex exploring a speculative church position, like a staff position, your real-life mileage may vary for your local church. You know, maybe you go to a church with just one or two people on staff. and so. You can, you know, maybe this is too hard to imagine and too impractical, but that's okay. This could take the role of a volunteer position, although I am, you know, this is a podcast all about imagination. So why not dream big uh, with, with a, uh, you know, Im imagining a corner office where the, you know, there's a little placard outside that says story pastor, oh. so-and-so. <laughs> 
Um, and while this podcast, you know, we mostly focus on Christian fantasy and sci-fi, we're going to be talking a little more generally about Christian fiction. Um, so kind of, we're not, you know, favoring one type of genre, or even age group. It, it's just more generally Christian fiction. I, I think that's probably going to be a more realistic starting place for this sort of idea. So the story pastor is going to have to deal with your Amish Perry romance. Huh? <laughs> you know it. You know, everything Little boy goes they've... to heaven books from the 2010s. <laughs> All of the bonnet fiction. Yes. And, you know, just to make, make this extra clear, this idea of a story pastor, this is not primarily about harnessing secular pop culture for ministry use. You know, we, we often uh, kind of joke a little bit about articles that are, you know, entitled the gospel according to this movie or finding Jesus in this novel. Meh. And, you know, th- this idea has its place and may- maybe it'll be a footnote in one of the sections here, but our focus still is on Christian stories and particularly books. Let me add another concession or two. Uh, first off, when people say the church always or the church never or the church this or that, I tend to get a little squishy. Uh, I like to say something like I said, uh, actually, on my Facebook page a couple of days ago, quote, please stop saying the church when you really mean the churches I have known or the churches that I believe have hurt my friends or the social group to which I feel most sympathetic. Call things by their proper names. I think I'm going to stick to this one because I've seen a lot of rhetorical drift and people say the church, blah, 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 the church, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think someone might even say if Lorehaven publishes something like, well, the church is doing this, like we are not the church, we're Lorehaven. Like, and if I said it, like I'm not the church, you know, I think people uh, have a little semantic creep going on there. Uh, If Catholics who actually have a Pope and more church organization uh, are not all responsible for the actions of one bad Catholic or one bad Catholic church, then certainly uh, Protestants are not responsible for the actions of one bad Protestant or one bad denomination or something. And we're less organized than the Catholics. So I just want to be careful when we're talking about stuff the church does or doesn't do. Amen to that. Well, we're going to look at three different ways that a story pastor could operate. And I've kind of denoted these as cultivator, shepherd, and creator. So we're going to explore each one of those here. So our first section is that, the story pastor as cultivator. So Stephen, what I kind of see uh, as the story pastor's role is, you know, how to best utilize the existing body of Christian fiction. You know, you mentioned in the intro, what if the, the church library or the church bookstore didn't just have all this nonfiction and Bible studies. It had a bunch of stories written by Christians. You know, there's quite a bit of Christian fiction that's already out there. I mean, even, you know, secular bookstores have the Christian fiction section. So it's not like this is a unknown category or or a strange idea. And, you know, if you have a church library, you probably have some of these books. I guess you could almost say that the first role is librarian (laughs) or, or bookstore kind of manager. But, but I, chose word cultivator intentionally is that they're finding the best fiction. And so they are, you know, reading a lot of fiction, they're reading reviews. Probably what they need to do is recruit a team, uh, recruit some volunteers, find uh, a lot of people that love reading, and then find the stories that are going to be really good for your congregation. Now, a while back, someone was talking on another podcast about Barnes and Noble and what made, um, one of the radical shifts Barnes and Noble went through, and it was the fact that as a national chain, Barnes and Noble would put the same books on display in the front of the store in every location. Like that was the norm. And then they got bought out. And so they started reorganizing and they started placing different books by each location. 
And so they, they try to emphasize, okay, what, what are people in this city reading? Well, we've got some information on that. And then Amazon Bookstore came along, and I, they actually just closed. But they took that to the even higher degree. They, they know exactly which books are being bought and you know, shipped to people in a certain city. And so at all of their little bookstores, they put all of those books on display. For some reason, they closed all their bookstores. I don't know all the details. But that is sort of the idea that a story pastor is not just looking at, okay, what are the most popular books out there? But like, what are people in our church actually reading? What are people in our city reading? What are people in our denomination reading? And really highlighting those. Um, Along with this, highlighting the classic stories. You know, Proverbs says, don't move an ancient boundary stone. (laughs) Like, don't just throw out books that have have been timeless classics uh, just because they're old. But certainly, Let's find new great stories that are in circulation. So I, I think there can be a temptation to chase the new. You know, like I said, we, we don't want to just throw out old things, but we do have to keep an eye out and an open mind. I mean, there's a million books being published every single year. I really like this idea. And I realize that most local churches are already doing this. If there is a guy or a class of individuals who are spreading around what they feel is the best or most beneficial books, it's the guys doing this for nonfiction. And they're not called story pastors. They're just called pastors. Or the resource We're already pastor, doing this. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you, you, if your pastor has an office on site, if it's that kind of church, he almost assuredly 99.5% of the time has bookshelves in there. And they're going to have books on counseling and theology and maybe even some fiction here and there. Zach, back when I was in uh, print journalism, I remember uh, interviewing a United Methodist pastor uh, in the town where I worked at the local newspaper. And he had shelves not just with really good-looking nonfiction in there, but he had some fiction as well. I was happy to see some Peretti on his shelf. And it wasn't just there for decoration either. I pointed that out. I said that I was a fan, and it was the Darkness novels and some others, and he was also a fan. And he was a good guy. I mean, say what you will about United Methodist uh, as a denomination. He He was one of the good ones. He was a gospel-centered chap, and he was bringing that uh, into his teaching, and clearly it was reflected uh, in his library, which wasn't just nonfiction, but also fiction. So maybe if the story pastor could build on just what the pastor does, because the pastor or pastors, if you have a team of elders, are already doing this with books. Uh, just this past week, as we're recording, a bunch of uh, pastors and Christian leaders got together in Louisville, Kentucky for the apparently final Together for the Gospel conference. I've never been to that conference, and now I guess I never will, but I've been to similar events, and pastors, elders, folks like that are constantly sharing books. They, of course, have a conference bookstore, and there's curated titles in there, probably exclusively nonfiction. So as I think about it, uh, you've already won me over a little bit because I realize pastors, elders at churches are already doing this for nonfiction, and if they're not reading books, frankly, they probably ought not be a pastor. Now we just need to push them a little bit and go, hey, you know, people get discipled through fiction too, uh, not just nonfiction. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, nonfiction, we certainly need, we need Christian living resources, uh, devotionals, Bible studies, but that's only one half of our brain. (laughs) You know, the stories disciple our imagination. You know, we've talked about this a lot. Again, go back to episode 50, where we talk about this and why we need fiction. It's not just an optional thing. I think we actually need it. So we have to find stories that are going to help us inhabit you know, worlds and characters that are going to point us towards the Lord and, and help us think in ways and feel in ways that are glorifying to God. You know, we, we can't just logic our way to, to truth all the time. We, we have to explore it. We have to imagine it. 
So yeah, so and I I really do think this probably is a separate role from the typical resource pastor. I think his job is probably already overwhelmed. Now I I have seen this at churches where it's like the family pastor is the person that's putting together kind of the library or the bookstore. So they're the one that kind of has a you know, because they're a family pastor, they're thinking of all different ages. Like, okay, your teenager needs to read this. Your, you know, eight-year-old son needs to read this. Your college student needs to read that. So they're already kind of thinking through nonfiction resources. I, But they're also probably doing counseling and a lot of other things. So that's why I think this role of building a fiction library probably needs to be a separate role because I think it is a different wheelhouse in a sense. But along with just finding books and recommending books, uh, the next part of this, uh, of being a cultivator, I think is finding resource guides. These would be book club kind of things. These would be how to discern, you know, th- this is frankly what we put out at Lorehaven, like here's a review, here's what to discern. And, you know, maybe a little bit more in depth resource guide for a book, something a few pages or or so long. Don't reinvent the wheel, like look for what's already out there. A lot of authors put out discussion guides for their books. And so you can look for those. Lastly, finding commentaries and resources on pop culture stories. You know, we we can't pretend like our congregations are not going to read secular fiction. So we need to know what people are reading. Churches have played around with this a lot. We've maybe highlighted a book in a a sermon or done a sermon series based on, you know, a Harry Potter house or something like that. But um, I, I think we need to shift our focus to what fellow believers are producing. You know, we we need to be discerning about and strategic with very popular stories. We need to at least be aware of what people are talking about. But I think that should be a side note to the much bigger project of highlighting Christian stories. The story pastor should focus mostly, maybe 90% on Christian stories. Because Stephen, imagine how weird it would be if the worship pastor at your church spent all his time analyzing the billboard top 20 songs, you know, and just listen to the radio and like, Oh, what, what are the most popular songs? What are winning Grammys? And, uh, I'll see if I can sort of incorporate that into worship. I mean, that'd be really weird. Like we would never do that. I mean, yes, there, there are churches that might play a U2 song or something, but again, that's the exception to the rule. We're mostly singing worship songs to Jesus. So I think this worship, this story pastor role should be mostly focusing on stories that are made to glorify Jesus. I agree. And not just because I have a a soft spot for Christian made fiction and not just because that's what Lorehaven does. Certainly Lorehaven would be an invaluable resource to this uh, hypothetical position hired or voluntary at a church uh, that can afford that. I have a few other thoughts about this. Uh, First off, just to uh, clarify uh, an assumption that we're making, kind of an axiom under this uh, really comes out, Zach, when you're talking about how this individual would not necessarily be constantly analyzing the top hits on radio or whatever's uh, cool in the hip hop scene. Some churches do that. Uh, some uh, parachurch Christian pundits have done that and still need to do that. Uh, there will always be a need to engage what's going on out there in the world. But I think an assumption that a lot of Christians, in fact, I would say, I might even dare to say that the church has this assumption, you know, and just uh, overgeneralize there. Let's just leave it at a lot of Christians assume that the only reason to engage popular culture or to cultivate stories or to analyze the top 10 hits or whatever is to evangelize, is to evangelize. And we've gone over this in a previous episode or two of Fantastical Truth. If we find them, we'll link them in the show notes. We don't believe the purpose of stories or engaging stories is to evangelize. In fact, I think 
that evangelism can actually become a kind of a hollowed out idol when you look at it like that. Uh, we believe the purpose of engaging and creating stories and songs is to glorify God, which includes but is not limited to evangelism. So I guess, Zach, that'd be my question for you. Is the purpose of the story pastor to evangelize the lost or to disciple the saved or a little of both or maybe more of one and less of the other? <laughs> yeah, you got me in a bit of a corner here since I, I'm very much about evangelism and missions. Uh, just well, no one my... wants to speak against that. God forbid. <laughs> but but I think it becomes a false event. It becomes, uh, I said, a hollowed out idol, like not even a substantive idol. You know, you wrap your knuckles on it and, and it makes a hollow sound. I don't think that that stuff is really evangelism for a lot of Christians, especially in like the last 10 or 20 years when people were writing all of those finding Jesus in or the gospel according to articles. I dare to say, I think that the creator was largely working through some of his own thoughts and issues with his own subculture. Man, that church back home that I grew up in, you know, they didn't let me watch the TV. They didn't let me listen to the music. They only let me listen to lame bands from the Christian 90s bands. And a lot of people, by the way, don't think those are lame bands anymore, at least not the good ones. They now look back on that with some nostalgia. But the person writing these articles and trying to engage the popular culture, I don't think he looks back on it with nostalgia. I think he looks back on it as a time of immaturity and lack of freedom. So he goes out and he writes articles about the gospel according to The Simpsons or Breaking Bad or any of those things. And I don't think that I'm not getting that from your thought here. Yeah, this seems a more no. developed version of that idea. Yeah, I, I think there can definitely be a danger in saying, hey, let's find all the pop the popular books in our culture and let's go read those so we can, you know, relate to our neighbor. And it's like, well, there should be some of that. I, I think every Christian's diet should include understanding what people are reading. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he quoted the Greek poets back to them. So he knew what yeah, they were Acts reading. 17, yes. Right. But if that's all that a Christian is doing, if if they are just reading things to reach others, then they're going to be really empty. Like that's not going to fill you up. Um, you need good Christian stories to baptize your imagination. Like you, you need it to fill your heart with truth and, and beauty and goodness. You don't just need stories as tools or, or as weapons or, or whatever. Like this, the, the stories that you read should most of all be for your own benefit. I mean, we sing worship songs for the same reason. It, it's for the benefit of drawing near to the Lord and, and to worship him. And so looking at stories mostly as an evangelistic outreach, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit in the next section where that could work. But yes, I, I think mostly this is a discipleship approach, the same way that a Christian living book that, that a family pastor recommends is for discipleship purposes. Another question, Zach, you've mentioned uh, specific types of pastors, family pastor, music pastor, was it resource pastor? Yeah. I'm not familiar with these terms. Are they distinctive to the church you attend or a denomination you know? Um, I, I would say it's it's... The bigger churches are going to have more staffed positions and so right. more specialized roles. But this is a role that other pastors could play or that, you know, we've said volunteers could even play in a smaller church. Um, you know, I think the average church size in America is actually 120 people. <laughs> so it's probably just a couple of people on the church staff. This is probably, for, for most churches, probably not a staff position they could add, but more of a role that someone takes on or a, or a volunteer position. 
Gotcha. In that case, perhaps a title change would be in order. You would not necessarily be an ordained individual with an MDiv or a paid position like a children's pastor or youth pastor. If you're not a story pastor, perhaps you could be a story steward, which also builds off of your your phrase here, the story pastor as cultivator. Story cultivator. Yeah. Yeah. And well, this goes back to the older, more ancient calling of God, the creator on his people in Genesis 128, Uh, not to evangelize the world, but to steward the world, to go out and make stuff using God's stuff. That's what cultivate means. The root word there is the same as culture. God is commanding his people to make and enjoy culture in the world. Uh, before Jesus must also command his people to go out and make disciples in the world. But the disciples in the world there get their restored relationship with God so they can go back to the purpose of making culture in the world. You got to have the Great Commission and that cultural mandate from Genesis 128 at the same time. The Christian's job includes both. It is not limited to one or the other. Now, again, I am dreaming big. So I, I am dreaming of a staff position with the title story pastor. And yes, they have an MDiv that they went through a theological, you okay, know, good. At training a good at, at a seminary. Yes. At, at a good all seminary. About this. Yeah. Okay. So not one of those bad seminaries you hear about <laughs> right. uh, oh, on, gosh, on the interwebs. Not, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. No, just but, whatever um, one you're thinking of, that's the one we're talking about. That's right. a bad seminary. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, certainly this could be accomplished in a, like I said, in a part-time role or a, a volunteer role. But yes, I, I am thinking like it, if there was a person at the church, I would want them to cover all of these bases. One final thing I'll say for this uh, part one of Story Pastor's Cultivator is, do you remember when everyone at your church was reading The Shack or before that Left Behind or perhaps one of Ted Decker's books or, or, or whoever? Like, Do you remember when that was just, it was such this buzz about, oh my gosh, there's this awesome Christian novel it's called Left Behind. Everyone is reading it. Like, whoa, I got to read that. And that was so exciting. Now, put aside whatever you may think now of these books, that was an exciting time in the church when everyone you knew going to church was reading the same novel. And so what I'm basically suggesting is let's let's make that a regular thing. Let, let's make that like every month there is a book that we're all buzzing about and talking about. And there is a a person on staff with the church that is driving that. So in other words, we're not just leaving it to chance or whims that we are taking a proactive approach to creating that buzz and not just for the sake of buzz, but for that togetherness that we feel. That's what was so exciting was when you knew you could talk to someone about a book because everyone was talking about it. It seems to me too, that the role of cultivator is uh, not just to grow the vegetables, but also to pull the weeds. For example, if yeah. back in the uh, 2008, 2010, you know, the, the heyday of the shack, uh, lots of Christian pastors on the internet were pulling the weeds in that book. And we've certainly done a, a few belated uh, weed pulls ourselves because the shack is not all that great when it comes to certain ideas of God and his character. But if you had an official position back then, uh, then someone could, you know, with the backing of the church, you know, an elder team, you know, the officially recognized uh, leadership structure of the church. Uh, you could uh, make it a little bit more official and say, hey, we know we know a lot of you are reading The Shack. Uh, we know a lot of you are reading Left Behind. It's okay to read. It's okay to explore these ideas about God and whether or not God would appear as a jolly black woman in a shack somewhere, a God the Father, Mother, whatever, Papa, I think uh, his slash her name was. A little fan fiction gender bending stuff going on there. I guess the author found it meaningful. 
point being, a local church could officially say, okay, it's okay to read this book, but here is our faith statement. Here's the position of the church. Here's what we understand from scripture. God is not a woman. He would not appear as a woman. He identifies as this. You know, here's some good <laughs> stuff. Our story pastor, story steward, whomever found in the book. Yeah. Here's some bad stuff. Uh, you can uh, look up this link at our, our church's blog or you know, his own blog or whatever. Uh, but here's what we think about that. But in the meantime, if you're going to read it, okay, we have this book club, you know, we're, we're going to go through it, you know, then hypothetically, the local church leadership is leading there rather than kind of having this parallel religious movement going on, uh, right. sourced by fandoms and other groups of, uh, groups of fans on the internet. Yeah. You're not just reacting to those things. And, you know, even taking the left behind for a second, you know, when I was, uh, when that came out, I was going to a pre-millennial, pre-trib rapture, dispensationalist. Oh, Bible they're going to eat that stuff up like crazy. Yeah. But if you yeah, were going so, to a Presbyterian church, like I was at the time, they'd be turning up their noses at it unofficial. Like, like, well, we're post-millennial right. here. We don't go for that mark <laughs> of the beast stuff. That's corny. Yeah. And so, you know, you may go to a church that doesn't agree with the book and, but maybe doesn't think it's bad. It's just like, okay, we have a different view, but Hey, why don't we read this book anyway? You know, I like my favorite Christian sci-fi series, Lamb Among the Stars, as an eschatology I don't agree in, but I love the books. I think they're fantastic. And th that's what that's all I'm saying is that you you don't have to just, you know, pick a book that agrees exactly with your church's faith statement, but hey, let's study it together. Let's read this is a Christian author. Look, it's not going to be crazy. It's not going to be insane. Maybe there's some things we disagree with. There might be some bad theology, but that is the process of discernment that we should always be doing. And it's just a little bit easier to do that. You know, with Christian books, we get to kind of put it on easy mode when it comes to discernment. We're, we're not reading a book written by the worshiper of some other God. Like we're reading books by people who worship Jesus and maybe they have different understandings, different beliefs. And yeah, there might be some bad ideas but we can still discern those together and let, let's just do it intentionally. So well, it's like, I'm already on board. Uh, I would volunteer as tribute myself for a story <laughs> steward. If that could be a thing, I'm certainly interested in kind of ratifying what probably myself and a lot of our listeners have already drifted into being. And just my encouragement, I guess, for folks listening to the podcast who go to a church that doesn't hate this kind of thing, fiction, fantastical fiction by Christians and otherwise, Maybe nominate yourself as a tribute. Just maybe go to your elders and say, hey, um, here's a here's a fun little title I heard on a podcast somewhere. Fantastical <laughs> Truth. You can go listen to it there. Spread the word, you know, and rank us uh, highly on uh, Apple Music and all of that. <laughs> but uh, apart from that, hey, just let it be known that you think these are your gifts and don't just use those gifts uh, as a, as a fan of fiction, as an individual or even a member of the Lorehaven Guild community or any of that. If you can, make sure that your leaders at your church know that you want to use these gifts, these enjoyments of stories to serve the local church. Make yourself a story steward, even if you can't be a story pastor. But as you say here, Zach, uh, let's move to chapter two of this discussion. The story pastor is not just a cultivator. Uh, in your, uh, your reckoning here, the story pastor serves as a shepherd. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So now that the church library is stocked, there's plenty of books in the church bookstore, there's a, you know, a newsletter that goes out once a month about, Hey, we're checking out these books. This sounds um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. This is the church I want to go to. Right. So the, uh, I love my church, but this is what I want to see happen at my church, I should say. But now that all that's going and there's, you know, this love of reading and everything that's going on, I think the next step is, is fostering a theology 
of fiction and, you know, not just a love of fiction, oh, but amen, amen time. Yeah. Again. But, but really taking a deep look at the purpose of fiction, what God intended for stories, because again, we, we've explored this a little bit, but this is where someone with an MDiv would be able to take this really to the next level. And this is not so much like English class kind of stuff. Like, although if, Hey, if you've got an English degree, even better then then you can talk even more deeply about literature and, you know, good grammar and stuff like that. But what I really see as the, the shepherding role of the story pastor is actually leading a book club, going through a book with a group of people, or even like leading a group of leaders who then lead book club and leading those discussions. So not just saying, Hey, go check out these books, you know, whenever you want, but like, Hey, let's do it together. Let's walk through this book and really explore the ideas, the worldviews, the consequences, the, the themes in this story. Let's go through that together. Maintaining a steady diet of fiction within the church. So this isn't just a project. You know, I, I've been to churches that love programs that did like, hey, you know, this month we're doing this and the next month we're doing that and next month we're doing that. And it was just kind of like exhausting. <laughs> Cause it was like, man, I can't get, keep up with this. Like I, I love all these ideas, but I, I like, it's just a pick one. So th- this would be a normal thing at this church. Now, this is not saying everyone has to do this. You know, not everyone's a reader. Not everyone's a fiction reader. Not everyone's a fantastical genre fiction reader. And so this isn't going to be for everyone, but that's okay. There's a lot of books that not everyone reads. You know, I still haven't read the five love languages. Um, Naomi has been Sadly, asking me since we got married to read that book, and I am just confessing now, I need to read that book. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> wow. I, I don't remember. No, I think I have read that one, but it's been a little while. It, it's one of those books, though, Zach, that is just so mainstream. You will, you will even hear the jargon from Gary Chapman's book dropped uh, among people who uh, would not ever darken the door of a church. And it's <laughs> kind of good to know that a lot of these Christian books have made it out into the world but as I, as I see your idea here of the story pastor as shepherd, it is, uh, it is taking that leadership role that we mentioned earlier, maybe for books that are super popular among the church, uh, but also bringing attention to books that otherwise might go unnoticed. Uh, whether go. it's a, a nonfiction book that your pastor brings up, like, hey, I, I realize that a lot of people in our church struggle with this particular uh, trauma. You know, here's a really good book. I found it together for the gospel about that. But then you also might say, hey, here is a, here's a Christian-made book that was published in 1996, and a lot of people thought it was corny at the time, but it really blessed me. And I think maybe going through this book would not only be an enjoyable experience because it's a well-made book for what it tries to be, uh, but also could be a very healing experience as you track with this character on her hero's journey uh, and discover how she, uh, how she heals from the trauma that she experienced. Right. Now, the second part of this role, the story pastor is Shepherd is so while the the first role is really shepherding readers but the second part of this role would be shepherding writers so what i envision here is okay for the story pastor to find christian writers in the local church or the the local community like in the city or perhaps in their denomination and you know finding them and uh leading them in a in a group like nurturing them pastoring them and giving maybe workshops or something like that, like giving practical things. Now, this is not to say that the story pastor has to be a writer among writers, but finds ways to really pour into their lives. Because if you've got writers in your church, I mean, what a great resource if you're the story pastor, because it's like, hey, (laughs) 
I can not only tell you about a book, I'm helping shape this book by discipling the person writing this book. And so I'm helping form some of the ideas in this book. And so I, I think that is just, would be a huge, huge win to have that story creation process be happening in the church with the story pastor contributing to it. Now at my church, we, we have what we call a story team. This is totally different than what I'm talking about. Uh, our story team does nonfiction. So we, we do articles like written stories or photographic stories or video stories. And these are just, you know, someone's five to 10 minute testimony of something that happened in their life. Maybe something really hard they went through or something that where, where they grew a lot or where, you know, God brought them to faith or, you know, they went on a mission trip or something like that. And our story team would put all these uh, stories together. And, but what we would also do is everyone that was on the story team would have a workshop like once a quarter, man, Stephen, these were fantastic. This was led by people in the church, but also other people that our church leadership knew about. But there was um, like a screenwriter that came once. There was a photographer that came. Uh, there was a mu- musician that came. And I felt so blessed to be a part of that. Like I was like, I can't believe I'm I'm getting this for free and they're bringing me breakfast. And I, they even gave me a free mug and a hat. Like, this is awesome. Like, I feel so loved and, and so blessed to be a part of this. So so the story pastor would be leading the the storytellers in the church that, so not just the writers, but the other kinds of storytellers that you've got and, and maybe even the musicians. So I, I see this existing very much in symbiosis with the worship team. That, that's how it is at our church. The story team and the, the worship team are very symbiotic. You, you could almost think of this as an arts pastor or culture pastor, perhaps. Yeah. Culture pastor. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we've had Mike Duran on the show before and I think he has an arts pastor or he went to a church that had an arts pastor. I believe I've heard him talk about that. Or he tried to have uh, an arts pastor type thing. Yeah. I think he tried to pull it off. Yeah. And even in California, that may have been a a tough sell uh, to some churches. Yeah. I went to Rick Warren's church, uh, Saddleback a few years back there in, uh, was it Orange County? And they had an art gallery. Like as you walked into the church, there was paintings up and they're really cool paintings all, all made by, artists at that church. So these aren't just things they bought at Target or a flea market or just, you know, things that popular artists in California, these were artists at their church. And I just, I love that, that the church was discipling and shepherding their own artists and then letting them show their expressions there at the church. And so this would be the point, you know, whether or not, you know, the next best-selling author comes from this church, I think just that cultivating those talents and shepherding those people in the church could be a really big win. I'm going to grab a late snack from the concession stand and simply point out, I think we've already obliquely referred to this, but uh, the organ is always shinier at the church across the street. Uh, as you're describing <laughs> this hypothetical environment, I mean, I, once uh, once I get past some of the initial shine, I start thinking about all the problems and I may not go over, <laughs> over all of these here. But one of them, of course, is obviously resources. Uh, You're speaking about Saddleback or churches uh, that can actually afford the position or the time or the personnel to have a children's pastor or a youth pastor. A lot of churches, they ain't got but one pastor, you know, and he's already burdened. And some churches are, you know, basically church plants. And the guy is working at Starbucks Monday through Friday, and then he uh, prepares for his sermons on Friday and Saturday nights. I mean. (laughs) Some churches are are younger, they're struggling, uh, they have limitations of space and time. 
I get it. I mean, this is definitely, like you said, we are dreaming. Uh, this is the ideal. So that's a, a small wrench thrown into it. But uh, Zach, also, I've just been handed this very large, imaginary, hefty metal tool, and I'm going to throw it directly into the conversation, completely okay. unplanned, Do based it. on your title of pastor. The roles that you're talking about here, with the possible exception of shepherd, could be done by a woman. But a lot of Christians, and I think both of us would fall into this category, believe that the biblical role of a pastor as in a teaching elder in a church, according to 1 Timothy 3 and elsewhere, should be limited to men because reasons that we will not elaborate on. But why could you not make the story steward, not pastor, in order to prevent confusion? Why could the story steward not be a woman? He or she is already doing the library like women. There are many more, I would say many more women writers in the church mm -hmm. uh, than male writers. Certainly there are women involved in music ministry and some churches will have, you know, a woman as the music leader, even if she's not a pastor. Uh, I believe women can be deacons, if not church elders. Like, could the story steward be a woman? Yeah. So again, to you, our listener, your mileage may vary. You may go to an egalitarian church. You may go to a complementarian church like Stephen and I. Not the same church, though. We should just claim that up front. Yeah. We, Zach and I go to different churches. Yeah. Stephen and I live 20 minutes apart, but we go to different churches, of course. So going back to what I was saying at the beginning, I am imagining a very specific, you know, staffed position at a church. I, I'm calling it the story pastor because I see this. Again, I'm dreaming big. I'm imagining this position on par with the worship pastor who is part of the elder team. So at our church... There would the, need to be a man then. Yeah. It, it, okay. Yes. Yeah, so this would be a part of the elder team. Now, again, some people out there go to egalitarian churches. They have a worship pastor that's a woman. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not making as big of a deal about that. What's most important to me in this exercise of imagination is this role of being a top, top line role at a church that someone is in this position with, with as much you know resources behind them as the worship pastor. So if if your church has a worship pastor that is a woman, then you know no big deal for the story pastor to be a woman. Anyway, I, I go to a church where the the pastors and elders are men. We do have women that lead worship. We do have women that lead Sunday school classes. We, we believe that uh, eldership is reserved for men because of the passage you mentioned. But women do serve at our church. It's I, I was just talking to my pastor about this recently. This is a big aside. But basically, the way our church breaks it down is the role of the pulpit. and the, So the role of teaching the church is reserved for men. So yes, I am imagining this person, the story pastor, as a teacher of the church. So in my church context, that would be a man. But in other churches, that could be a woman. That's not as important to me as just the role itself. Let me go back to something a minute ago, though, a little bit less controversial. You asked me in the first section about, should this story pastor be using books as evangelism? And I, I said, I think there is a, a way to do that. And it's, and it's in this shepherding role. I mentioned that as, as a shepherd, that this story pastor should be leading a book club or, or leading leaders of book clubs. Well, one of the ways that you could do evangelism is by inviting your neighbors to a book club. So now are your neighbors going to come and read a Christian novel? Well, I don't know. You might have a friend, you might have a coworker, you might have a neighbor that's like, okay, you know, maybe I should give Christianity another chance because I've, I've met, you know, Joe and Sally neighbor, Joe and Sally, you know, coworker, and they're, they're cooler than I thought. And maybe I need some faith in my life. I'll, I'll check out a book, you know, I'll, I'll read a fantasy book. That that's fine. Oh, it, it's Christian. I don't mind too much. So 
this would be aimed towards a very warm kind of person. So someone who's not hostile to Christianity. Now, maybe the book club could take on a secular book once in a while. And then, then you could really invite in a lot of other people, a lot of people outside the church. Look, that that's up to the discretion of the, the book club and the story pastor. But I think that is a way that you could kind of augment this is not just discipleship, but evangelism too. I, I still think it's primarily a discipleship role. Yeah. Why not make it a little evangelistic some of the time? I think that's a great idea. I think that is a great idea. And I like the proportion there. I mentioned earlier that we had been talking among the Lorehaven staff creators about uh, the purpose and scope of Lorehaven articles. And one thing we've been talking about is how much to have articles about uh, finding you know, biblical truth or discernment issues in popular movies, like superhero movies and stuff. Obviously, I've gotten away with a Snyderverse article or two, and similarly here on Fantastical Truth. But mainly in Lorehaven, we want to emphasize the excellent Christian-made novels in the fantastical genres that no one's talking about. You can go to other websites and get reviews of the latest uh, Marvel or DC or Star Wars movie, uh, whereas you can basically only go to Lorehaven and a few other sites and get information about Christian-made books that your kids might like or that you might like. Uh, I would like to see that, uh, that emphasis reflected in a story pastor or a story steward. Um, I guess real quick too, the reason why I mentioned uh, the whole male female thing is mm-hmm. that I know at, at Lorehaven and at Rail Makers, and we know so many skilled, talented, discerning Christian, deeply Christian female authors. And I, I would like to think that any of them would be perfect in a role like this, uh, but sure. for the whole label of pastor. I think that a woman can teach when it comes to skills like this that are not necessarily sermons. Like, I am, I'm not egalitarian, but I don't see why a woman couldn't teach a mixed group Sunday school class of a certain mm-hmm. grade. You know, I've learned so much from female podcasters and female leaders uh, to where I understand the label of pastor as in teaching elder should still be reserved for a man uh, just because First Timothy 3 seems pretty insurmountable there. But something like this, I, I think that men and women alike have a lot to say about the role of the Christian in culture creation. Uh, and I, I would, I would, I don't think this position should be egalitarian because I, I don't think it necessarily needs to be a pastor position, but in the church that can do it. Okay, great. You know, elevate them that way. But I'm thinking about my church or maybe smaller churches among uh, our listenership. Perhaps a female listener to this podcast could find herself in the role of story steward, uh, even if it's uh, kind of self-appointed after talking with your elders, like I was mentioning earlier. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about how this would play out in my church. Uh, cause I, I think you ask a very good question. Yeah, we like all how, will. Yeah. Cause I'm yeah. thinking the same. Yeah. My church. Like how, how could a woman play this role in a complementarian church? And the, the title would not be pastor. It would be story leader or something or story steward, as you said, story shepherd or something. What it would mean is that this would sort of be like an optional thing. Like it's a Sunday school class, like I said, um, or it's a seminar or whatever workshop. In, in which case, our church has plenty of women that do that. What it would mean is they wouldn't be able to lead from the pulpit on Sundays. Not that I really see this person in a, you know, sermonizing role, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It, it's tricky. <laughs> this, that's probably a whole other podcast to figure out how, what that would practically look like. So let's just go to part three here. So chapter three is uh, Story Pastor as Creator. Now, frankly, this third role. Uh, is optional. Or just like every worship pastor is not a composer, 
Uh, neither should a story pastor be required to be an author or writer, but a few are going to take on that role. Again, in my church, we have, we create a lot of our own music. So we have a couple of the um, people on the worship team, they write music, which is awesome. I love that. But we also, you know, play plenty of songs from other churches. But in this role as a creator, the story pastor would, you know, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm just going to use uh, male pronouns just to make things simpler. But again, go back to I won't two. cancel you and yeah. you won't cancel him either. <laughs> Will you gentle listener? You better yes. not. So what, where I see the story pastor fulfilling this role as creator is writing their own stories. So these, these could be short stories. These, these could be novels. These could be screenplays. I don't think it really uh, necessarily matters because th- this isn't just like, again, when, when you think of the first role of cultivating, that's their primary role. They are finding stories that are already existence. Uh, novels take a long time to write. It might take one or more years for each novel or screenplay. When I say this is an optional role, what, what I really mean is this is the um, least important role uh, of this pastor is that they are not there to create every story that the church is going to read. That would be insane. Like they would totally burn out. So what kind of fiction they create is almost irrelevant. And somewhat more important than writing fiction would be writing uh, his own resource guides for these Christian stories. So you find a great Christian novel, it doesn't have a discussion guide, you create one. Um, and also writing commentaries and resources on pop culture stories. Because again, there's a lot of great resources out there. Focus on the family has great you know, movie reviews and here's how to discern this story. But th- they don't cover everything. And so you know, maybe the story pastor finds a movie that everyone's talking about and no one's written about. He goes out and writes something about it. And then, hey, that gets to bless other churches. So just being very generous. Well, until the story pastor program gets started in your denomination of choice, I I must point out that that is stuff that we're hoping to do at Lorehaven and have already done. We've actually already been talking about uh, making discussion guides, like sometimes uh, based on the challenge questions that we've been sharing in our Lorehaven Guild, a Discord community. Free to join if you just sign up at lorehaven.com. We do monthly book quests uh, every month and Every single one is focusing on a Christian-made fantastical novel. Now, Zach, you've mentioned the story pastor. Obviously, we're not trying to limit him to fantastical fare. Uh, it could be stories of any kind, you know, mostly Christian-made stories, but also some secular-made stories, just whatever your church needs. But Lorehaven can only go so far, uh, even if we are doing a new discussion guide about a book per week or per month. Uh, your mileage may vary. As you said, Zach, you know, everybody's church is different. The personalities are different. The sin struggles are different. The history of trauma is different. Your discipleship needs are different. And so a more locally based story pastor, even at a large church, can address those differences, can vary his approach in anything that he's creating uh, based on the needs of those around him. That's the whole point of having a local church as opposed to just overgeneralizing the church. You know, God has put us in families, smaller units, so that it starts with the individual needs, the family needs, and the local church needs. And only there do you go out to like the broader Christian or evangelical subculture. Like Lorehaven reaches that subculture. We, we are at more of the, the, the bigger level there, but only a local church level story pastor could create materials that are needed and useful uh, to the people around him. Now, let me give a couple examples of where I have sort of seen this work out in the real world. Uh, the first example would be Francis Chan. Uh, he is, or he was a pastor and he's a speaker. Uh, he might be serving in overseas missions now. I know he's talked about that. I don't know if that's just a temporary thing, 
But Francis Chan wrote a children's book called The Big Red Tractor. This is a story about, you know, people in this village that are pushing around this tractor <laughs> manually to uh, to try to feed their their family and, you know, harvest all the crops. And then there's a farmer that's like, you know, this is really hard. And he finds this instruction manual for the tractor and they figure out the right way to use it. And they're able to make more than enough food for themselves and to share with others. And the whole thing is a parable of the Holy Spirit's role in the Christian and in the church and how, um, you know, just the, literally the idea of the, the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in someone's life through this analogy of the tractor. And that was a great little book that came out uh, 2010, I believe. And I think there was even like a little short film that went along with it. As far as I know, this is the only story that Francis Chan ever created. But it just, you know, that kind of got me thinking, what if he was doing that a lot? Because he wrote that while he was a pastor. So he saw some of the struggles of his church and wrote a story to address that. And then now that story is blessing other churches. I, I just think that was fantastic. Another person that's doing a similar thing is Jared Wilson. So he is a contributor at the Gospel Coalition, uh, but his actual title is author in residence at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, he's mostly written nonfiction, but he's written a few fiction titles. One is uh, Echo Island, which is like the speculative kind of mystery. Another one is Otherworld, which is a little bit more of a sci-fi mystery and it has UFOs in it. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's going on my list. That's even. your jam. Uh, you, yep. you know, I have to read that now. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not as familiar with Jared's work, but uh, I've read some of his nonfiction articles. I'm like, okay, this guy's a really good head on his shoulders. And that's really cool that he's an author in residence. So that's his job is to write these books. I don't know what all else he writes or does, but I imagine that's taking up quite a bit of his time. You know, people that write full time, that's their full time job. And so the story pastor's creator, this might be more of a side job because I think those first two categories of cultivator and shepherd are actually more important to the local church. But yeah, we we should we should encourage writing of new novels. And again, maybe this also means the story pastor finds other writers in the church, in the community, in the denomination, in the region, or in that genre, and learns from them, leads them, teaches them, you know, shepherds them. It's kind of, we said in the second part, but really he's got his ear to the ground. He knows where good stories are going to be coming from. And then he's creating his own along with it. Um, the, the last example I want to give is a little bit different. It's Alex Kendrick. So he is the associate pastor of media for Sherwood Baptist. Uh, and then they've created Sherwood Pictures, which has created all kinds of Christian movies. Um, uh, everyone's got their opinion about movies. But look, I just love that a local church said, we're going to start a movie studio. <laughs> and it started with, I think, like a $25,000 budget. And each movie has like doubled or tripled in budget. And, you know, some of their movies are getting critical acclaim. Like, they're, they're, I don't know if they're going to win awards. And um, I secondhand heard Alex Kendrick talk at a uh, uh, this uh, this event where he said, I'm Alex, I make cheesy movies, and I own it. And I love that. I, Good I just, for him. I, yeah. I, I love it. You know, he's just very self-aware, just very self-deprecating. But, you know, the, the purpose of what they did with Sherwood Pictures was to make movies for their church, for their community. You know, a lot of the humor is very, it's very specific to Georgia, I believe is where they live. It, it's very specific to their, you know, Southern culture. It's not, you know, it, but I love that too, as a Southerner, even though I'm a Texan, I love 
Southern humor that's not making fun of Southerners. It's just like we're having a good laugh at ourselves, but we're also, you know, we find things funny that people elsewhere are not going to find funny. So um, again, they started that for their local church, and now they've obviously gone, you know, much bigger. But that that was always their focus. They are making films for their church body. Zach, I thought I'd have more pushback about this section, and and I don't really. Uh, if if for no other reason than you've emphasized the story pastor as creator, uh, as something that the story pastor could do if and should the need arise. Uh, my concern here is that I mean, not like anybody's going to be so influenced by us, but uh, if, for example, a big time pastor, a, a Tim Keller or somebody at a conference, were to say, "Hey, y'all need to go out and." make basically a position on your staff that's going to be the poet laureate. Mm. And yes, he might cultivate the church library. And yes, he might uh, lead a book club, uh, do some shepherding. Uh, but also, like he needs to recruit the writers and we need to get this going to the local church level. If you try to do that sort of thing from the top down, it's probably going to fail or it might even become cheesy. Uh, but I think it's more an issue of a local church being limited to working with and being called to uh, the resources and needs that they already have. This sort of thing has to be organic from the ground up. Uh, I wouldn't want a, a big church uh, with uh, money to throw away uh, to try to do this from the top down. Uh, I think that that would not only be ineffective, uh, but it might even be, I wouldn't say unbiblical, but it might blur the lines between Christian vocations. And this is what I mean by that. Uh, the uh, the elders in a church, the teaching elders, have a specific job uh, to help disciple people through the Word of God. You know, I think the vocations, the offices get a little uh, do some overlap if you're talking about the music pastor or the youth pastor. Like in in theory, the youth pastor is not the lesser pastor, as we all joke about them in the skinny jeans and fog <laughs> machines. Uh, the youth pastor ought to be a guy you know who is just as qualified, uh, or you know, even if he's a junior member on the teaching elder team, like he ought to be able to get up and give a sermon to everybody on a Sunday morning. If the main pastor, the main teaching pastor gets the flu, uh, optimally in a church that has these gifts, like everybody on the teaching elder team should have these gifts, uh, including a hypothetical story pastor. But I'm not sure that that means that the, the, the clergy, the, the leaders of the church are meant to be the only mentors in these areas. Like, do you then also have a plumbing pastor? Uh, do you have a construction manager pastor? You know, uh, I understand that stories are a little different uh, because it goes back to that original uh, cultural calling. But then should you have a farmer pastor, you know, who applies Christian principles to uh, the growing of crops? Like, well, that can happen, but I think more organically, pardon the pun, uh, among the the members of the church, like the first Timothy three standards for teaching elders in some way ought to apply to everybody, uh, not only every man, but often every woman in the congregation, you know, husband and one wife, uh, not quick tempered, uh, shouldn't be a recent convert, needs to be mature, take care of your family, or else you shouldn't be pastor because you can't even take care of your family. How can you take care of the church? All that stuff is in first Timothy three. Lastly, Zach, and I'd love your thoughts on this, uh, is a quote from C.S. Lewis that I often use when it comes to Christians arguing about how or whether the church should lead in political efforts. Uh, Lewis, back in the 1940s, was already talking about the church and social morality uh, with an aside, a very important aside, about how or whether the clergy, the church leaders, uh, should do cultural work. And this is the relevant paragraph. I'll skip through the first and then uh, directly quote the rest. He says, people say the church ought to give us a lead. 
That is true if they mean it in the right way, but false if they mean it in the wrong way. By the church, they ought to mean the whole body of practicing Christians. And he goes on to say that most people, when they say that, mean, well, the clergy, the church leaders, the pastors ought to put on a program. They ought to train us about how to apply biblical principles to economics or border security or anything like that. Uh, I'm translating, of course, some of the modern issues here. Uh, Here's where the direct quote resumes. He says, quote, but of course, when they ask for a lead from the church, most people mean they want the clergy to put out a political program. That is silly. The clergy are those particular people within the whole church who have been specially trained and set aside to look after what concerns us as creatures who are going to live forever. And we are asking them to do a quite different job for which they have not been trained. The job is really on us, on the laymen. The application of Christian principles, say, to trade unionism and education must come from Christian trade unionists and Christian schoolmasters. Just as Christian literature comes from Christian novelists and dramatists, not from the bench of bishops getting together and trying to write plays and novels in their spare time. End quote. Zach, I don't think you're talking about the bench of bishops as a, as a hobbyist here uh, trying to do something from the top down. I think you're talking about someone on the bench of bishops who naturally has this talent, uh, who then is being recognized for that talent and is uh, receiving that label on their door. Uh, as story pastor or story steward or whomever. Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts about this, so buckle up. So I'm going to go back to the first thing you said, and I'm going to kind of frame everything around that. You you mentioned about, should the church have a poet laureate on staff? And and you, you think not. I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't think that that is invalid. And we are not a culture anymore where artists have patrons, uh, but right. that was that what you know there was a period of time where that was very common michelangelo you know had a patron to paint the sistine chapel right and to do other art works of art and so i don't think that a church would be wrong to hire someone just to write novels i, I think that could be really cool but i think churches need more than that out, out of this story pastor role now on the flip side i think that Someone who wants to be the story pastor at a church is probably going to be a writer. It's probably going to be someone that wants to create things, and they may be disappointed to learn about all these other, uh, everything else in the job description that we talked about in the first and second sections. And so their actual writing may be 10% of their time, or it may be, it may be their side job, their nights and weekends role. But now, why not a plumber pastor, you said? Well, okay, and I'm just going to say this bluntly, but let me... <laughs> I'll elaborate. Does plumbing disciple us? Yeah. You know, that that's really what it comes down to. Does yeah. any, and again, nothing wrong with plumbing, electricians, carpentry, whatever, teaching, trade unionists, whatever. But are those things meant to disciple us? And, you know, Jesus used stories to disciple us. And that's really what I come back to. Amen. Is that the, the stories that he told, we are still telling each other today. We are still sharing those stories and we're creating new stories in the spirit of discipleship through story and even evangelism through story. So that's where I I find the basis for this. Uh, And again, I I think it's very closely tied to worship pastor because we use worship or we use music to train ourselves in how to think. And I, and we, we use stories for a very similar purpose. The, the, the real tricky thing economically about all this is that when you have someone 
in the nonprofit organization that is being paid to create things, he's going to get paid whether those things sell or not. And, and that, you know, economically is not always a great idea. Uh, now, if that's the purpose of the organization, you know, there's, there's plenty of ministries that their entire job is to create materials. And so those materials get sold to whoever, and you know, I'm mostly talking about nonfiction materials, or there might be a big ministry that they have a couple of people whose job it is to create materials. And those people are going to get paid a salary, whether or not the things they create sell very well. And look, there's a lot of people that will probably want to talk about this in the comments, but that can be a dicey thing. And so for a church to hire someone purely to write novels, it may not be such a great idea. Now, again, I, I would love that role. <laughs> I would love to be hired by a church to do nothing but write sci-fi novels. But I, I don't think it's going to be the right use of money because then my stories aren't being driven by, is there a readership for them? Right. And, yeah. and it's, it's not being reader focused. Um, but also it could be really tempting for that story pastor just, just to be holed away in an office. Like I'm sure there's some introverts that would love this, that just get a corner office in the church. They just write all day, they go home and they don't have to worry about the bills. Like it's paid, but being a church role, you know, that in, in being a pastoral role, the focus is on the congregation. You know, the, the focus is not on what they're creating. Uh, the stories are creating. Now, I think they wouldn't be able to help themselves. I think anyone that wants this role is going to want to write a book, but I think it's these other things that should take more of their time. I agree with that. And that's the difference between what Lewis was warning against as an aside. Like Lewis's line here in Mere Christianity is talking about the church influence in the world. What you're talking about is the church influence on itself, on the church, yeah, right. internal affairs, not the church going out and putting novels and plays from the bench of bishops out into the world. Lewis was not uh, on the bench of bishops. He gave a sermon or two, but in terms of clergy uh, in his own church, I believe the Anglican church in England, uh, he, was, he was not a pastor. He was not a teaching elder or whatever you call it in the Anglican church, not my denomination. Uh, he was, in a sense, a layperson. Uh, very professional for what he did, you know, a scholar of medieval and Renaissance literature and languages. That was his job. Uh, he was not on the bench of bishops. So he's kind of implicitly talking about himself there. Uh, the, the Christian novels and plays uh, need to come from Christian novelists and dramatists. Well, that was C.S. Lewis. That was maybe a lot of people or a few people at your church. Uh, that's the people who are appearing on this podcast, who are writing uh, Christian-made fantastical novels. Uh, some of them may be a pastor here and there, uh, but they're, they're doing this in their spare time because they enjoy it. Uh, it's coming from their heart level desire and enjoyment for these stories and hopefully to serve a need that they have in their congregations, uh, not because they're being told to do it uh, by a, a bench of bishops over them. Uh, I think that really is the difference is that whether or not you're hiring somebody for a paid position, uh, it's a need that's arising naturally from the church. And I think you're right, Zach, it would take a special individual who would not only be the cultivator and the shepherd, uh, but also be the creator. Because you're talking about an ambivert or, or someone who you know, maybe is an introvert uh, who can get along well with people and you know, at least fake being an extrovert and then grow into it for the glory of God and the good of their uh, fellow church members. Or you're talking about an extrovert who just does this like maybe 5% of the time making stuff. 
you know, um, I'm, I'm looking at you and I and like going, okay, well, what are we, you know, I don't know whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. I used to think I was an introvert, but then at events, uh, specifically about, uh, issues like these or talking on the podcast, like I just come alive, you know, and you can train to push your energy levels further. You really, really can, or at least I can, and I don't want to project that on everybody. But it would take a unique personality to do this kind of thing. And that means that the church, maybe the church, local churches shouldn't just sit back and wait for this personality, though. Maybe you got somebody who could turn into this kind of person in the congregation. You know, I, I might could. My church is uh, fairly small. But like I said earlier, I could volunteer as tribute and then maybe at least be a story steward, even if I don't have a, you know, an office or a library uh, with steward. my name on the door. Yes. Well, you're not the story king of Gondor. You're the story (laughs) steward of Gondor. And hopefully you suffer a a better faith than poor Denethor. There you go. Well, to you, our listener, if this this fictional job title appeals to you and you want to look look it up on Glassdoor or whatever people are using LinkedIn, uh, I don't think you'll find it there, but you know, hopefully one day we will, uh, we will see it posted there. I, I don't, I can't remember where churches post their job listings, but um, if you'd like to offer us some feedback on, on this role or these uh, different functions, cultivator, shepherd, creator, did we leave something out? Is there some other function of this uh, story pastor you think should be filled? Or do you think this could take some other format? We would love to hear from you. So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com. Or you can leave us a note on social media. Just look for Lorehaven. Speaking of story pastors, I'm sure that even if we don't have a lot of them now, we're going to have a lot more of those types of folks in the new heavens and new earth. And that leads me to our comm station lit up with replies regarding our last uh, podcast episode and a few articles that have appeared at lorehaven.com. One hero in the Lorehaven Guild, our exclusive Discord community, uh, enjoyed our episode 108 of the podcast, uh, the one about resurrection with Tim Chafee. This person remarked, quote, it's challenging to think about how the fact of physical resurrection, both Christ's and our own future renewed life, ought to impact how we live and think and imagine, end quote. I love that. That is pithy. Uh, The challenge there is absolutely what we're about on Fantastical Truth, not just trying to meet the needs of the church today or the local churches today, but looking forward to eternity when we're going to have massive libraries Zach, I was looking at your article from this time last year talking about the new earth libraries. We've had Earth Day. Everybody's talking about saving the present earth. I know for a fact that Jesus will save the present earth and that books and reading and literature and delight and culture will continue in some way uh, in that eternal afterworld. That's something I really look forward to after resurrection. Well, yeah, there's kind of two different mindsets you could take from this, right? With reading, you could say, well, uh, everything on this earth is going to burn. And so you better read all those secular books now before they're burned up. Or you could look at it like, Hey, we're going to have all kinds of Christian books in the, the Christian books now are going to last, uh, forever. They're going to be in the new earth library. So you might as well get started now. Like, (laughs) don't let that to be read pile pile up so much. I mean, you'll have plenty of time later, but since you're going to be reading Christian novels in the new earth, why don't you read them now? And you may also have certain secular-made novels in the New Heavens and New Earth, too. I don't know if they'll yes. have stickers on them, but you will have <laughs> sanctified eyes. The, the vid-angel versions. Yeah, you will be raised, <laughs> as Tim Chafee said, in a spiritual body, and nothing will be able to corrupt you anymore, not even a book with some false ideas, which we may keep around in the New Heavens and New Earth for the curiosity of them. Man, I can't believe I used to believe that. Uh, it'll be really interesting <laughs> to go back over that stuff. Uh, 
By the way, speaking of cautions about stories, uh, that was the subject of Marion Jacobs's recent article we published last week. Uh, that is called Sensual Scenes in Fiction Pose Unique Temptations for Women. Glad Marion wrote about that. I can't write about that, but that's why we have different story stewards. We might call them among the Lorehaven staff creators. One reader remarked uh, openly uh, in a comment to that article, quote, Thank you for this. I have struggled with lust for years, mainly aided by books and TV. I know to look at reviews before watching now, but books are a lot harder. Even books marketed as Christian get uncomfortable sometimes, and it's often hard to know which those are without stumbling into them. By then, my emotions are already engaged, and it's hard to stop. Thanks for this, Marion. I always find your articles thoughtful, and this needed to be said. End quote and amen. I really appreciated Marion's approach to this article. It is sensitive, it yeah. is compassionate, but it is also firm and grounded in scripture. Yeah. I think you'll particularly benefit male or female reader uh, from her comparisons to the Samaritan woman at the well, and especially her finale at the end, asking someone, imagine you're at your best friend's wedding. Are you enjoying it because she's getting married and you can go along with her joyful uh, journey there? Or are you kind of wishing that you were her? Uh, That's just a powerful finish. And I think something that I can apply when I'm uh, enjoying someone else's happiness, whether it's fictional or real, uh, even as a man. Well, where are we going next week, Stephen? Next on Fantastical Truth, uh, we're actually going to do an informal sequel to this episode uh, based on a few phrases that you've dropped, Zach, into previous uh, conversations here on the podcast. You've mentioned that I think we may be moving into a golden age of Christian-made fantastical fiction. Occasionally, I have pushed back on that. I think that we're not there yet. I think it would take a lot more to get us there if we ever get there at all. In fact, we may not arrive in a golden age for Christian cultural creation of any kind until the aforementioned new heavens and new earth. But in case we were to get some kind of a golden age here on the present earth, what would that look like? What would we expect to see? What kinds of stories would we expect to be flying off of the shelves? What would a golden age look like for Christian-made fantastical fiction? And we will explore that in our next episode. Meanwhile, whether or not your church has a story pastor or a story steward, whether or not maybe you could step up, go talk to your elders and say, hey, I just heard about this hypothetical idea. What are the chances we could make it real? I'm basically already doing it, and I'd like to get organized about that. I'd like to serve the people in my church who are already looking into stories and enjoying them. This is something that local churches need to take seriously. Whether or not you do that, always be discerning the stories that you enjoy and look for ways to exercise your gifts being a fan of fantastical fiction whether or not it's made by christians use these gifts well in your church as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth